You're listening to Coffee Break with The Mountain Astrologer at mountainastrologer.com. I'm Shannon Garcia, the Design and Dev Director at The Mountain Astrologer. With me for this episode is Dr. Jen Zart, who is a trustee for the Kepler College of Astrological Arts and Sciences. She's going to be talking to us about the new library that they're opening here in Seattle, which is pretty exciting, really. I've had the chance to go over there a few times now, and the collection is pretty spectacular. It's also exciting to have a physical location for the college again. So Jen, if you could, tell us a bit about your work and how you got started with Kepler. I'm an editor, astrologer, and translator from German to English. And I wear many hats, but I suppose those would be the three biggest ones. In 2014, I founded a publication house called Rubido Press with Aaron Cheek from New Zealand. And we publish material that speaks to the astrological community, but it's not just a press for astrologers. However, throughout my entire education, I've been devoted to astrology and specifically astrology in academia. For that reason, Kepler has always fascinated me, and I've kept my eye on it, but did not get a chance to attend it while I was getting my PhD at Berkeley. Now, Enid Newberg has been at the helm of Kepler College for quite a while, and she was your introduction to the organization, right? So how did all that come about? Upon graduation, the president, Enid, found out that I had used astrology in my dissertation and my qualifying exam for my dissertation, and so that began my official relationship with Kepler. I would talk to Enid frequently, but um, I really had always been attracted to Kepler's mission of trying to reintegrate astrology into academia, and I found out about that when I was younger, and... While I was at Berkeley, I chose to incorporate astrology into my PhD thesis so that I would perform the act of integrating astrology into academia, even though there wasn't a department of astrology at Berkeley. When you read my PhD thesis in the German department, you end up learning more about astrology than about German. So my intellectual lineage is very aligned with Kepler, and last year I was invited to join the Kepler board. So right now, my official title would be the treasurer of the Kepler Board of Trustees. So how did you go on from there to get involved with the library project? Was it something that was already in motion, or did this start from scratch after you came on? I actually moved to Seattle to help open up the library. In 2009, Enid and I had had a conversation about the books that were in storage, and I thought perhaps we could move them down to Berkeley, where I had been living. But that would require sort of a logistical nightmare because someone would need to unpack the storage unit, put them into a U-Haul, take them down to California, and then try to explain to people why Kepler's library was in San Francisco or in the Bay Area while Kepler continued to exist in Seattle. As an online school, it didn't quite matter whether or not the books were in Seattle proper or in a more accessible location, which would be the Bay Area. And I thought, you know, it would be a potential to get the books out of storage so that people could use them. After graduating from grad school, I moved around a lot, but settled on the decision to come to Seattle to work with Kepler in establishing it again as a physical location. 
Do you think you could give us a quick rundown about Kepler College itself? I know there's a lot of community lore about it, but what exactly is Kepler? Kepler began in the early 90s as an idea proposed by Maggie Nelbandian. Maggie was a very influential, you could almost say, center of gravity for astrology in Seattle. She began a store called Astrology et al. in 1974, and in the early 80s, she began the conference that has continued to run every single year, Norwalk, I believe it was 1983. So it seems as though she was working in 10-year rhythms, and in the early 90s, she proposed to create a university that would give master's degrees and bachelor's degrees that would incorporate astrology into the curriculum. That idea caught on fire with a lot of other astrologers and the entire community mobilized to create Kepler College. But Kepler incorporated in 1992, and I believe they saw their first students in 2000. So Kepler began offering master's degrees and bachelor's degrees, but unfortunately it did not get accredited by the state of Washington, and the long history of Kepler is a topic for another podcast, but suffice it to say, Kepler did graduate students at the 2012 UAC in New Orleans, and over the years in the process of getting accredited and not getting accredited, um, they did need to put their items in storage, and the entire Kepler library went into storage at that point and stayed there for a number of years until last year. When I came to Seattle, the books were in storage. I was a newly minted board member and new to Seattle. Not new to Washington, I went to high school downstate in Vancouver, but I was new to Seattle proper. So I spent most of the year last year looking for the correct office space, and it wasn't until May when an opportunity fell in my lap that there was just the perfect amount of lease left in this very perfect space, and I thought the books are going to fit in this spot. And what we needed was to find out what was left in the inventory, what had gotten damaged over time, and what we needed to collect, and basically get a sense of what we have, what we need, and what kind of space we need. But the last thing I wanted to do was lock Kepler into some kind of long-term commercial lease in a location that wasn't suitable for the amount of material and for the accessibility of the collection. So the library is named after Maggie Nelbandian then because she's the one who brought forth the idea of Kepler itself, right? The library is named the Maggie A. Nelbandian Memorial Library. Over the summer, during the time I was securing the lease on the property and planning for movers to move the boxes out of storage, Maggie Nelbandian passed away. And I sensed resonance between what I was doing with Kepler and resurrecting these books from storage and turning them into Kepler's first physical location in a number of years, it just seemed appropriate to honor Maggie and what she began in the early 90s with dreaming Kepler into being. So I contacted the board with the idea and they unanimously voted in favor of it and then I contacted Laura Nelbandian and Gregory Nelbandian and asked them if the family would be okay with this and they were incredibly supportive and very touched by the idea that Kepler would name the library after their mom, but she created an entire community surrounded by books, and even now her legacy lives on in creating the conference that creates community, and the books live on. So now Kepler has a place where the library itself the heart of an institution of higher education is the library, and so to have it named after Maggie is just a very powerful and important thing, and I love being there knowing that it's named after her, and I think a lot of others are going to really enjoy the space. 
So what was it like unpacking the collection after so many years? It sounds a little bit like finding buried treasure, really. It felt like we were taking all of the astrologers who'd ever been published and getting them back out of of being hidden. And they were just having this party. And so Wonder Bright, an astrologer from L.A., flew up for four days, and she and I spent 18 hours a day in a room filled with boxes, literally floor to ceiling. I don't even know how many boxes. There must have been 120 boxes. I mean, the storage unit was a 12 by 12 filled from floor to ceiling with shelves and, and boxes and boxes of books. So Wonder and I spent 18 hours a day nonstop unpacking and alphabetizing every single book in the boxes. Gregory Nelbandian joined us on the first night, and he gave us an education into finding out which books were damaged. There's a kind of thing called flocking when a book decides to almost get, it's like an STD for books. Um, but once a book is flocked, it will spread to other books. It's a kind of molding that takes place, and you have to be very careful with old books in this way. And there was actually a lot of damage, so we, we had to discard probably 30 boxes of books that were flocked and part of that is because some of the boxes of books had never been gone through so they might have arrived flocked and we didn't know and then over time over the years that they were sitting there the infection spread so we were very meticulous about using latex gloves and making sure that a flocked book did not go on the shelf but that also means that we have a deficit in the collection right now i would say we have books published up until six years ago and there are some older works, but given my background in academia, there are a lot of astrology books that I would want to see there that aren't there now, and a lot of editions that have come out in the meantime. So the last six years of publishing has been pretty groundbreaking for our field, and the exercise of unpacking this library has really shown me that. There's a lot of material that has been published that is really important material that can increase the caliber of this library. As Wonder and I were unpacking these boxes and finally getting shape to the room and a sense of where the alphabetization would start on the shelves, putting everyone away seemed like at once visiting old friends, but also having this cacophony of voices, almost, you know, those kinds of discussions, those heated discussions you get into at conferences. There were books screaming at other books from across the way, and the whole entire space was just filled with all of our lore and all of our technique and all of the recorded past of our history. And there were moments when we both were moved to tears at what we were unpacking and how amazing it was to have everything in one space. It is really the ultimate living room of astrology books. And you can sit there and use them, do all of the research. Everything's on hand. Once we fill out the collection, it will be one of the premier astrological research libraries in the country. Is visiting the library something that would make sense for beginning astrology students? Or would people find more use in the collection or get more out of it if they're more advanced or have been studying for a lot longer? It's definitely a place for beginners. I think that people who are new to astrology will benefit immensely from being in this room and attending lectures at the library and just spending time browsing through the books that are collected at the library because as a beginner in the early 90s, I would go to Powell's Books, Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon. They had a really robust astrology selection, but it was nothing like this. So I would say if you're a beginner, you definitely want to head over there because 
Most of the books published for astrologers are made for beginners. There's not many books that are aimed at the intermediate or advanced level. And that's what I'd like to see added in um, and actually published. That's one of the reasons why I'm a publisher is because I want to publish advanced books. So a beginner would be in paradise there. And advanced astrologers would also benefit from being able to see the plethora of material there. And they'd also see how certain things have been published before. A lot of people think they're having a new idea because the book on that hasn't been written, but actually it probably has. And so by going to a library that has this collection, one can see where they fit, where their idea fits in the history of astrological publishing, which is another passion topic of mine. Well, it really sounds like research heaven then, or at least I suppose it sounds like citation heaven. It is citation heaven. And um, it's book design heaven because it's the history of amazing art associated with our field and craft. There are diagrams, there are mathematical permutations, there are technical books and ephemera and so many different kinds of things all at once. It's almost overwhelming, but if you comb through it, you can find really beautiful gems, 60s from the 70s. It's pretty incredible. Well, okay, so what's the oldest book you have there then? There are some books from the 19th century, not many. We do not actually have a lot of rare books, to be honest, and that's something I'm going to be working on changing. We do have most of the Project Hindsight pamphlets. Those are out of print at this moment, but also very important for our field. And there are a number of historical works that I'd like to obtain so that we have a more robust collection. But I would say the oldest book we have is probably from Safariel old in terms of the book itself being old, not a reprint of an older text. We have some works by Lily and, you know, Greeks as well, but they're not papyrus or anything like that. So earlier you mentioned events at the library. Is that something that's going to be continuing, like classes or workshops? And is that kind of thing only going to be local or will that be accessible to people who have been interacting with the college online? Kepler has already held an event there. Some astrologers came in the fall, and we will be holding classes there. We're planning on having the introduction class be an in-person class that's simultaneously broadcast online. And I'm open to hosting people who are coming through with books that they'd like to have a book tour. The space itself is quite intimate, but luckily, this is part of the beauty of the scenario, there is event space next door. So depending on the estimated attendance, we can rent and have a very lovely evening of astrology. Now, let's talk for a minute about the location. It's actually just outside of Seattle, but not difficult to get to. So how do people in Seattle visit? What's the best way to go about doing that? The location is temporary right now. This opportunity arose to have the library situated in an office space in Kirkland, which is right off of 405, and also easily accessible by bus for those of us who don't drive. So you can walk, take the bus, or drive your car. There's ample parking, and it's wheelchair accessible. There's absolutely no reason why anyone in Seattle shouldn't be there. So anyone can become a patron of the library then. We just donate and get a membership, right? Or is there some other process? Well, let's talk about two things. One, membership, and two, 
donations. We don't really need donations of things from the 60s and 70s. <laughs> but I will be making a catalog so that it's clear what we do and do not have. And we would definitely welcome all donations. We have storage space beyond this. Um, Gregory Nalbandian has donated his basement to us so that if anyone wants to donate all of their books and not think about going through them, we will do that for you. But we really do need more rare works. And obviously, everything's welcome. And what will it cost for people to come visit? I'm assuming there's going to be a fee or some kind of honorarium just to cover operating expenses and that kind of thing. When you come to the library the first time, the first visit is free, but Kepler does ask to have a donation for continued use. And the idea is like a museum. When you go to a museum, you pay a visit fee. So after your first visit, it should be $5 a visit. And if you'd like to donate for the year and come anytime you like, that's 40. The membership is prorated throughout the year. So as the seasons change, the price changes as well, because we want to keep everyone on the same yearly membership, starting with the school calendar year. So memberships in September are 40, in December they're 30, in March they're 20, in June they're 10, and in September everybody renews their membership. But your first visit's free and you're always welcome. Wednesdays are our office hour days right now. I'm currently manning the office hours, and we are also open by appointment. What's the best way to check on the library schedule or find out more about upcoming events? And how should people contact you if they have more questions about this? You can find us on Facebook. It's the Maggie A. Nelbandian Memorial Library. Or you can also contact us through library at kepler.edu. Well, good. That's pretty simple then. Thanks, Jen, for coming in and talking to us about this. It's really exciting to hear about a project like this getting some momentum behind it. I'm sure we'll be plying you for updates, too, as it gets further along. So thanks again. I really do appreciate all your effort on this. Thank you so much, Shannon. Now that's all for this episode, because we want to keep it fairly short and sweet for you. Thanks for taking the time to listen. You're always welcome to share questions or feedback for us at podcast at mountainastrologer.com or check out some of the active discussions on our Facebook page. Thanks again. You can find The Mountain Astrologer at Barnes & Noble Booksellers, Whole Foods Market, PCC Natural Markets, and other specialty bookstores and newsstands nationwide. To subscribe to the print or digital edition or to download a sample copy, please visit us online at mountainastrologer.com. So today I was riding the bus and reading Catherine Blackledge's recent biography of William Lilly and saw that one of the charts he provided for himself has three Pisces on the Ascendant, and I immediately thought about the Fantastroid stud puppy, which was discovered at three Pisces. So I got a chuckle looking at one of the theoretical charts for William Lilly.